Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall, SI.com's Ben Littleton, and a special guest, former U.S. national team goalkeeper and Premier League veteran and current Fox Sports analyst, Brad Friedel. Brad, thank you for joining the, uh, the Planet Football Podcast. My pleasure. And uh, Grant, welcome back. It's actually good to see you in studio. I'm so used to you being on the road that I totally forgot to, to save you a seat. It's been two months. It's good to be back in the very humble SI podcast studio. And Ben, thanks for, for joining us from the UK. Uh, my pleasure. We're all excited about the start of the uh, Premier League season over here. And that's pretty much what we're, we're going to delve right into. I, I would be remiss, though, if I, if I didn't say happy birthday to Brian Strauss, who's not with us today. But Brian, hope you're enjoying your birthday. Guys, let's let's jump into the Premier League, though. Uh, the season starts on Saturday. Manchester United, Tottenham, the first game. Two teams who who figure to be in in the upper echelon of of the league. Um, Brad, let's let's start with you. Manchester United this season. It's year two of of Louis Van Gaal. What do you expect to see from them? Is is this a team that's done enough to get back into that that title title level? Well, yesterday I, I was asked to give my picks, and um, I'm actually picking Man United to uh, to be top of the tree this year. Okay, so there um, you go. The uh, I think I, th- I think they still might be a little bit light at the back, um, but I have I have reasons for for all my picks in their positions. Um, I I think they need to solidify the situation with David De Gea. Um, whether he's uh, whether he's staying or going, I, either way, um, they need. They need to sort that out, and I'm sure Louis Van Gaal is the type of manager he, that will have a plan B. If in fact David De Gea leaves, um, these great managers are great for a reason, not because they uh, do things off the whim off, all the time. Um, I really like the signings of the Schneiderlin Schweinsteiger, and then you add Carrick to that mix. They have a, a great balance of big game players, of flair, and also the grittiness. So you're not in the Premier League. A lot of the games are so difficult um, and you play so many of them, especially when you get to that Christmas period, you need a wealth of experience and that middle of the field is so important. And a lot of times that's where you win and lose games. I also think over the course of the season, and he's um, Memphis Depay is, uh, and he's obviously got a lot to learn in the Premier League. Um, but what I saw of him in preseason, I liked him once he and Wayne Rooney learned how to, how to link up together, then that's going to open up a lot of space for your for your Matas, if you like, and your Ashley Youngs and and Wayne Rooney playing higher up the uh, higher up the pitch this year. I like uh, his um, sense of, for a goal, so I think uh, Louis Van Gaal's done a uh, done a very good job in the transfer market. I'm sure he's not done. Um, Tottenham um, is another team, and everyone's going to say just because I played for him, and there's part of that. There's part of heart and head in this, um, but I have them. Uh, just just uh, pipping the fourth place spot. Um, I'm saying this uh, also out of an educated guess because the uh, I, I believe in Mauricio Pochettino. I believe in his ideas. I believe Daniel Levy is backing him fully. Um, and this, uh, this Tottenham team is a cohesive unit. I love the youth that's there. So there's obviously a building block for the future as well. If they do miss out on fourth, it won't be by much. Um, and the entire squad will be better for going forward. Nabil Bentaleb, very young. Ryan Mason, young. Harry Kane, young. Danny Rose is a, is a young player. Um, so on and so forth. You, you can go through the team, and there's a, um, 
there's a very good mix of the experience and and youth. Um, so so I like um, I like both these teams. That's interesting. I, I think most people would say it's you know the same top four that finished last year probably positioned well to do it again. Grant is. Is that kind of how, how you see things? Do you see a team like Tottenham maybe able to, to crack that, that top tier? Well, first off, I'm curious to find out who Brad thinks Tottenham might edge uh, to um, get into Well, the two, yeah, the two. So I've, I had uh, Chelsea in second place and a very close second place in my own. And I actually was going back and forth with them, Grant, because I, I think they're arguably the best. Um, the problem is, is they are reliant on Diego Costa. And if Diego Costa isn't fit, um, Falcao proved last season that he had a difficult time scoring goals in the Premier League. I think Loic Remy hasn't really gelled um, in a Chelsea shirt. And saying that, they get a they get a ton of goals from Ivanovic, Terry, and Cahill. I think it was 17 in all competitions last year from a back four. Um, that equals another another uh, prolific striker. Um, but I think if Diego Costa misses parts of the season with this hamstring, then I think they could be in trouble um, scoring goals. They're always resilient. They have one of the world's best goalkeepers, I know, but you know, I think it'll be, I think it'll be them or, or Chelsea. Um, I also like the look of Arsenal, um, and they've made a great signing in Peter Cech. Uh, going forward with Sanchez, um, Walcott, Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, I don't know if Giroud will start from the beginning. I'm sure he will in, in, a, major, or in, a, in a lot of games. Not sure if he's going to do it in the majority of games. Um, but they did miss the pace of Walcott last year, um, absolutely, because they didn't have anyone that would stretch teams um, as playing as a number nine. And Wenger plays Walcott as a number nine sometimes. I still think that Arsenal are two players short. Um, when they play at home, um, they have a bulk of possession and they leave themselves susceptible to the counterattack. And that that's where the holding midfielder and the central defender with pace is so important. Um and that's where I think they could get undone by, by a few teams out there. And again, they're not going to be they're not going to be far away. So, Grant, to answer your question, you see the two. The big one that I um, that I see a little bit of an implosion this year might be Man City. Yep. Um, and I haven't mentioned I haven't and I and as I'm saying that I think again they have a wealth of talent. Um, I just think something without being there, and this is only from the outside. Um, looking in, it seems like something's not right there. That's just that's just what I'm that's just what I'm um, getting at. But could they could they go on a run? Um, absolutely could. Um, but they too uh, have been so heavily reliant on one goal scorer, and that's Aguero. And when you when you're these teams that have spent so much money on on these squads and all these players with Chelsea with uh, with Man City and you become reliant on one player that's a bit of surprise to me because I think you should have a plan B a plan C maybe even a plan D if you have these amount of resources and then the unknown the unknown is going to be Liverpool this is the second season in a row that they have spent um, a lot of money and brought in a lot of different players and Benteke and Sturridge, they could they could click straight away, and, and they could find themselves in having one of these, uh, you know, league uh, league challenging seasons. Um, but uh, history history says as well that when you do bring in a lot of players, that uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a miss, and and it takes a lot of time for the players to gel. So it's very really difficult in preseason right now for me to uh, 
to say Liverpool are definitely going to be up there, but could they be up there? Absolutely, they could. And then you have the likes of your your Southamptons and your Evertons, um, Swansea's, your Stokes. All these teams are going to be able to take points off of uh, off the top four, which could make this the the closest title race and the closest Champions League place um, uh, finish in the Premier League for for a long, long time. I think that's interesting. I mean, there there really is that defined top tier, but but like you say, that kind of so-called middle class is is good, you know, and and they they can definitely make things interesting down the stretch. Ben, I'm curious for for your thoughts. Do you see Man City um, as as the most likely of that top four to to fall out potentially? Well, not necessarily. It's interesting what Brad says because. Chelsea are the side that have strengthened the least. Everyone else is is stronger. And yet Chelsea over here remain overwhelming favourites, dependent on, uh, as Brad said, the, the Costa injury situation. And the reason for that is is probably because of their defence, because on the whole, it's normally the best defence that wins you the title. And they're, they're clear issues in all the other teams' defences. With Man City, Vincent Kompany was injured and off form for much of last season. Mangala certainly didn't show signs that he was worth the £42 million that City paid for him, but they need to have a big season from him this year. Yaya Toure was also um, not at his best last season. And I think Sterling can replace Aguero if Aguero is is injured. And don't forget Wilfred Bonny, who didn't have a great six months at City uh, when he joined from in January, but is the type of player that can score 20 goals a season quite easily. I think Arsenal's defence is far more solid now than it was last season, simply because Czech is not only a better goalkeeper, but uh, a better leader, stronger personality, more of an organiser. And you could tell that just uh, by watching the Community Shield and Arsenal's win over Chelsea, the defence just looked calmer with him there. And so that, to me, is a good sign for Arsenal and and for United, well, Brad is tipping them as 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 his his tipped to win to win the league. And yet, for me, the biggest worry is their defence. De Gea was outstanding last season, but there are still huge question marks over whether he will be at United on the first of September because there's still um, you know three weeks to go till the window closes. He clearly wants to join Real Madrid, and I think there are a few twists and turns still to come. In that saga, and then you look at the centre backs, who were, well, I think Woeful is putting it kindly based on last season. I mean, Marcus Rojo cost sixteen million pounds on the back of essentially two good performances at the World Cup, and last season he didn't look like a sixteen million pound defender. At times, he didn't even look like a defender, and at the moment, he's not in Van Gaal's first team selection because. He wants to play Daly Blind as, as the left-sided centre-back. And Blind, who was actually bought as a midfielder, is now being played at, at centre-back. And that means that Chris Smalling will probably get the nod over Phil Jones at, as the other centre-back. For me, that back five, especially if De Gea goes, is not strong enough to win a title. And Van Gaal has spent over £200 million at Old Trafford. And so you, they really need to mount a title challenge. Challenging for fourth this season is not going to be enough for them and there's huge pressure on Rooney to stay fit, on De Gea to stay, and them to sort out this um, this defence. So I, I think that if Spurs are going to break into the the top four, the, the, the teams they will be challenging for it 
will be City and United. But for Spurs, I think they've strengthened their defence by bringing in Alderweireld uh, to partner for Tongan. But the big question mark for me about Spurs is also their strikers. It looks like Adebayor might leave, Soldado they probably want to get rid of and they'll bring someone else in. But Harry Kane uh, is someone that Brad obviously saw at close quarters last season. Can he score another 30 goals this season? He's going to be a marked man. Brad, do you think he can continue this form? Because, you know, he wasn't even in the in the starting lineup until November. What he did was was astonishing. Well, I think it would be unfair to expect 31 goals out of him. Right, that's for sure. But does he have an eye for goal? And, and is he one of the best just out-and-out out true finishers I've ever played with? The, the answer is yes. Um, I, I agree with you on the goal tally. I mean, listen, if, if you look at what Tottenham needs, they need about they need to concede about 10 less and score about 10 to 12 more if they're going to jump into that uh, top four. That's that's how close things are. Um, and when you talk about goals, uh, and this is where ch- my comment on Chelsea came into it a little bit earlier, you can get goals from by spreading it around in different positions and different areas on the field. So I'm sure Mauricio is going to be looking at this, right? Do I need another striker or can I add to get goals on corner kicks and set pieces? And I think the answer with Tottenham is probably another striker. Um, and I think he knows that as well. And I think he's probably out there looking. And when you do these picks, um, there, there's always a lot of a lot of what ifs attached to them because transfer windows still open. It'd be much easier to to do the picks or you know or, or for the transfer. A window to shut prior to the uh, prior to the first uh, first kick of the ball. I would have agreed 100% with you on Man United if I hadn't watched them in this preseason. I just thought they looked really solid, and this is where Van Gaal's coaching has come into play. And uh, I agree with you as well that uh, that you need a solid defense, but I think he's got all the players um, uh, on the same page when it comes to how he wants to defend. And then I think he's, uh, I think he's got a, a couple of well, three excellent players in that midfield in that midfield position. Um, you know, listen, there's there's six teams that we can all talk about that have uh, legitimate claims to be in that top four, and then you have a couple more in your in your Southamptons and Everton's, and you probably even have one more if I. If Mark Hughes was uh, listening to this, he'd probably be screaming from the rooftops, hey, what about Stoke? We're not so bad. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, th- there's, there's a lot of teams that are going to think that they have they have a uh, an opportunity to get high up that league table, and that's what makes this Premier League uh, so fascinating. But it also is one of the reasons why it makes it so difficult for English teams to, uh, to advance in the latter stages of Champions League because the... Every single game that you have to play in the Premier League is hard. And when, you, when you're when you Real Madrid or Barcelona or even a Bayern Munich, maybe the German League to a little a lesser extent, but in, if you're in the Dutch Leagues and, and uh, the Portuguese Leagues, uh, the Italian Leagues, you can rotate your players and still know that you're, you know, you're going to be on a 90% chance of winning your game and your league on the weekend. Also, those leagues sometimes... Uh, put games forward so if they know their teams have a game on a Tuesday they might move their league game forward to the Friday before to give them a couple extra days of rest well that just doesn't happen in England Um, TV schedules uh, dictate when the games are and that's and that's that so it does become uh, it does become difficult for the English teams in the latter stages but that's uh, 
that's why the uh, the head coaches and the managers have paid the uh, the big bucks because they have to try to rotate their squads and get their teams uh, in a place to be able to win on both fronts. Yeah, depth obviously is is a huge a huge issue, a huge factor, a, a big reason why some people are you know questioning Chelsea and and if they can repeat again. Grant, I want to get your your take on the top of the table before we kind of work our way back down uh, towards the relegation zone. Um, what what do you make of of this this top? tier do you see the the same top four as last year do you see a Tottenham sneaking in a Liverpool with all these new faces for a second straight year trying to to finish in that top four again well I think the point that Brad made there toward the end was interesting because you look there was a New York Times graphic a couple of days ago that came out which showed just how much in the other big European domestic leagues these are either one team leagues when it comes to the champion or predicted champion or in the case of Spain basically a two-team league. Even at this point, Atletico Madrid, even though they won the title a couple of years ago, that is like a, like a 4% chance uh, heading into this season, uh, which also tells you how good Diego Simeone is. But I would also say that you look at the English Premier League and even more this season than last season, uh, when Chelsea was pretty far and away, I thought, the best team in the league, uh, I could see any of uh, four teams winning the title this year. Uh, and I, I think Man City would probably be the longest shot, but I still think they're capable of winning the title. Um, and I, I look also at, at what might be different and what might separate teams at the top. And I do have Chelsea and Arsenal as my, my top two. Chelsea one, Arsenal two. Very little to separate them. Very little to separate them from Man United is my pick for third. Uh, and Man City is my pick for fourth. But... I look at a guy like Shad Forsyth, who a lot of soccer fans are like, who's Shad Forsyth? And he's actually an American. I'm not trying to desperately stretch to get an American connection here, but he was hired by Arsenal last year basically to prevent injuries because they've had such a spate of injuries in recent years. And Shad Forsyth is this guy who used to be with Athletes Performance. He worked with the German national team for years uh, and was very successful in injury prevention. So we'll see if he can have an impact on that. We're seeing today in the news Jack Wilshire out for another couple <laughs> of his months. Work cut out for him already <laughs> with yet another injury. Uh, and yet, I, you look at depth, and if Chelsea can do pretty well overall and not lose guys this season, I think they did a great job of that last year, uh, for the most part. Uh, then I think they have every every chance to think they can repeat as champions. And But if Arsenal is going to make a title run, for me at least, they've got to stay healthy. And yes, there are still concerns there as far as uh, a real true center forward who can win you titles. I don't know if that's there right now. And I still think in the defensive midfield, they're sort of lacking um, and don't know if they're going to even try to fill that between now and the end of the window. But, uh, you know, as far as guys being healthy, I think that's a, something to really watch. You see the the transfer rumors with Kareem Benzema to Arsenal. I feel like that might do a, a go a little bit of a way in, in taking care of that. I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I just don't see it happen. If if they, of course, if they splash the cash and, and if Real Madrid sells, um, let's move our way down the table a little bit, Brad. Let's let's go to one of your other former teams, Aston Villa. Uh, kind Ooh. of a fascinating off season, I thought. A lot of a lot of changes going on there, um, but also yeah. a team that narrowly escaped relegation last season, and and a lot of people are tipping them to be in that race again. Do you do you see them as more of a of a mid-table team or do you think they might be fighting off the the drop again 
Well, again, I'm going to have to answer this heart and head. Um, okay, the when uh, when you see the likes of Benteke and Delph leave, and you see those two as being probably two of the main reasons why they stayed up in the first place, you would, alarm bells would ring. Um, I do think there have been a couple of decent signings to come in. I think um, AU's a decent signing. I think, uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how... Um, uh, Gusted does from uh, from Blackburn. You know, I, I, Tim Tim Sherwood is a uh, is a very energetic coach, as we all know. But he's also his style of play he very much likes the ball, um, not long ball, but he likes passed forward quickly. Um, and in order to do that, you're going to have to have a number nine that can hold the ball up and one that's going to be willing to run into the channels. Now, um, it's been well documented. He's also after Adebayor, who did just that for Tim's short short time at Tottenham as the top man. Whether um, Adebayor will, will do that for the long term, we'd have to wait and see. This will be... I, I can't see Aston Villa being necessarily a, a, a solid mid-table team. I think they're going to have their ups and downs this season. Um, but I do think that they will have more more room from that from the bottom three um i know tim tim is a is an out and out winner um and i they they should have should have enough um but it could be touch and go at times as well um you know speaking on an american standpoint um i'm glad i was glad very happy to see that he came out tim came out and said that brad guzon will be the uh, the number one goalkeeper um so that's going to be important for, uh, for many reasons uh, for him on a personal level, but I also think he's a good goalkeeper and he knows Aston Villa and he loves Aston Villa. And when you get into these in these uh, tough parts of seasons where you really need a win, I think Brad understands um, what's needed to be done. I know at the end of last season, he was, he was dropped and never easy to be part of that. But uh, then I think everyone saw that he just—he was in a positive mood at the Gold Cup and uh, just got on with things, and that's the type of character that Brad is. So in a very roundabout way, do I think that they're going to be relegation candidates? No, but just. Um, you know, I think, do I think they're going to break into that top 10? Um, I, I would doubt it. I think Tim will probably need um, another uh, another transfer window or two for that. Um, but Ben, before we go to you on, on the bottom half of the table, Brad, I, I just want to stick on, on the subject of Guzan and, and Tim Howard. And obviously you're okay. familiar with the, the U S goalkeeping situation, obviously, and, and being a part of it, seeing it now on the media side. Um, I'm, I'm curious on your take on, on Howard's return or impending return. Of course, that's up to Jurgen Klinsmann. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the timing of everything, should this be Brad's time? Does, does Tim kind of have the, the golden right to come back after the World Cup that he had um, and, and take that number one spot? It's, it's kind of a, an interesting situation at an interesting time, especially with the Confederations Cup playoff coming up. Yeah, and there's a couple ways that you have to, or that Jurgen's going to have to look at this. You know, you, do you, do you uh, play for now or do you play for the, for the future? Um, you know, I think... Uh, uh, Tim took um, took a year off um, with the blessing of of Jurgen, so I don't think there's any animosity between Jurgen and Tim in this regard. Because I believe um, in the past there there were a couple instances um, where where Jurgen didn't take too kind to players um, not uh, accepting call ups or wanting some time off. But I don't think that's the case this time. Um, it, I thought. Uh, 
Brad Guzan, especially in the uh, in the group stages in the Gold Cup, played very well, made big saves at big times of each game. Um, in the semifinals, um, I I wasn't as critical at all of Brad. Definitely not on the first goal. The second goal, the ball was outside the box. <laughs> How many times do we see that called? So he's a bit unfortunate there. But then he um, then he was probably in the last game against in the third and fourth place game the only U.S. player to come out with any credit at all in the, in that game. That was uh, not a great performance by the U.S. team. So this will be a um, this will be a big decision by uh, by Jurgen. You have uh, Tim. Tim is uh, is older than Brad, and if you look at what his age would be in the next World Cup, I'm sure Jurgen's going to be looking at that. Jurgen will also have to look at if I if I call Tim in and I play Tim, and things don't work out, can I go back to Brad, or will Brad be too upset at that stage, or he's going to have, or maybe he says. Listen, Brad's my guy for the future, and and Tim, if you come back, you're going to be my number two. There's a whole host of ways that Jurgen could go with this. Um, you know, it, it just it completely depends on on the uh, the team spirit of when Tim is brought back in, whether he comes in as a number one or as a number two, or if it's a competition for the place and he alternates whatever it's going to be how that affects the entire squad and that's how Jurgen's going to look at it um i personally think that competition is great and as long as as long as he's honest with both goalkeepers they're they're the two best goalkeepers that the u.s have so they should both be called in and they should battle it out um but i also think that right now with the way brad played in the gold cup that when the next game comes around brad brad should be the guy that plays in that game and it's it would be up to Tim to displace him um, but I'm not I'm not the coach that's just what how I would view it um, from a goalkeeper's psyche and I'm sure if the roles were reversed Tim would probably think the exact same way I think this is a fascinating thing to look forward to uh, in the September U.S. national team games they're friendlies against Peru and then against Brazil and I certainly do agree with Brad I think that Klinsman would probably call in both uh, Guzan and Howard. We haven't had, though, a real competition for the number one goalkeeper spot in a really long time since before since when? Howard. Since <laughs> when? <laughs> I mean, think about this. It's, it's interesting. When Howard came in, uh, or you know, not came in, I guess, but more like since he became the number one, we haven't seen that. And I remember doing a story for Sports Illustrated magazine before the 2010 World Cup on the three U.S. goalkeepers on that team and you were talking about tim howard brad guzan and marcus hahnemann and i actually interviewed all three of them at the exact same time up in hartford and wrote this story and felt like i could do that because couldn't have done that 10 years earlier (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the point i was about to make so i just think that the more the more competition there is uh the less you're able to do that but I, i would like to see some competition and i think we will i also think if both guys are called in that, yes, that Guzan would be the guy to start in that first game. Now, the question is against Brazil, a team that figures to put some shots on goal, do you put maybe Howard in for that game or do you stick with Guzan and, and kind of say, he's my number one for now, I'm going to wait and see what happens here. I like the fact that both guys are the number one goalkeepers at their clubs because that would make the decision probably for Klinsman, I would think, if they weren't both the number one. Yeah, you would think so. You also wonder if... if- 
Tim Howard would accept an, a number two role at this point. I mean, I think he's he's accomplished so much, and and obviously, you know, when you leave for a year, you you run that risk. But at the same time, uh, when was the last time he was a backup? It just it hasn't happened. <laughs> and so I I do wonder if he was put in that position, if he would just say, "All right, I'm out." I'm gonna say I will say this is that when you're a number one goalkeeper number one goalkeeper and even if you get demoted you don't think of yourself as a number two there's a complete different psyche as a number two goalkeeper um it is uh so my last couple of years at Tottenham it was completely it was completely different and uncharacteristic for me but I was doing it for different reasons um one for one for finishing up my coaching um and uh doing some ambassadorial work and also getting prepared for television and so I was getting prepared for my next chapters in life. But both both Tim and Brad are number one goalkeepers in their own mind. And it is not an easy thing to just accept a number two role. And that goes for that's not just that what you just said. That doesn't just go for Tim. That goes for Brad as well. Sure. So it it uh, the good thing about it is I, I think they both get along pretty well. So when they go into when they go into camp, um, I, I believe their working relationship will be will be very very strong. Um, you know whether or not uh, one of them wants to talk to Jurgen after the team is made. That's that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but but as, as as long as your working relationship is is professional, and once the team is uh, is made and you back the team, no matter who's playing, and you don't take the take the selfish road then things will work out fine competition for places can be uh, can be the can be the best thing for that and you never know when if one of them if one of them plays and plays a series of game the other one might just drop out of the race you just you just don't know but i agree with grant it'll be fascinating to watch as an Englishman, can I just come in here? Because no. we have a problem with our... Yeah, thanks, exactly. We're famous for our goalkeepers. <laughs> our, our, our first choice goalkeeper, Joe Hart, is so far ahead of the rest that yeah. to actually have a competition would do him some good. And last season, that came in, in the shape of Fraser Forster, who was excellent at Southampton. He's now injured, and Ben Foster is injured. And so Joe Hart starts the season one year before a major tournament as the undisputed number one. And there was a sense a couple of years ago that because he didn't have a, any challenger at all for his jersey, that his performance level dropped. So for these two guys to be competing so tightly for some games coming up soon and for next summer, I think can only be a good thing for the team because if, you're, if you don't have that competition, if you're a number one and the number two is so far behind you on a level and some clubs do take that strategy where, whereby the number one is the guaranteed number one and the number two is just on a different level in terms of uh, performance, which is what Chelsea did for a few years when Peter Cech was there. They had Ross Turnbull as the number two. Uh, before that, they had Hilario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but recently, Courtois came in, Cech was the number two, and this year, Begovic is the number two. Those are realistic contenders. If Courtois drops his level at any point, Begovic is ready to take over. And I think it, with, with the U.S. national team, you can see that they're two guys that, as Brad said, see themselves as number ones, and that can only be good for the team. Yeah, and there's a, and with uh, Peter Cech, for instance, Mourinho would have known that he's a self-motivated player. I was always a self-motivated player. So you could have an out-and-out number two behind a Cech, or you could have behind myself, and we would have kept our standards high. Um, but I agree with you, a lot of players don't. 
and that's where the competition competition comes into play. So I would assume that Mourinho doesn't know Courtois just yet, as far as his, his personality over many many seasons. So he's probably thinking, I need a, a real good number two that can challenge him just in case. And yeah. I think that's great. I think that's great management to know when you should and when you shouldn't do that. Because some goalkeepers um, can can play a, a lot of games in a row, keep their consistency and keep motivated, keep their their flexibility, keep their weight down, keep their reactions good, and it's no problem. Um, younger goalkeepers, that's generally a lot more difficult to do. It's interesting, and and like you guys are saying, it, it can only help Aston Villa and Everton in addition to the U.S. national team that these guys are, are number ones and then battling it out for for a number one place on the international level. Um, ben, I, I want to wrap up with you on, on the bottom of the table. You wrote about this for Planet Football. Just your your sense on on this this crowd at the bottom fighting against the drop. Obviously, there's more TV money than ever at stake, um, and that's that's a, a huge motivation. I mean, look, no one wants to, to say that they're playing for 17th place, but for a lot of these teams, they kind of are. Um, totally. Yeah, and and just which teams do you see uh, ultimately falling down? Well, I think one of the kickers is that the three promoted teams, Norwich, Watford and Bournemouth, look pretty good at the moment. We haven't had a kick yet, so it's easy for me to say that. <laughs> but based on their based on their performances last season, there you know, there was a real buzz about them and last season the the newly promoted sides struggled. Queens Park Rangers finished bottom, Burnley second bottom and Leicester only survived after that improbable run of seven wins in their last nine games. So otherwise, all three would have gone back down. I don't think we'll see that this time around. And there are a lot of sides, Villa being one of them, that you know are starting at a very low point and, and will get sucked into it. I think Villa are in trouble, um, not just because of uh, the, the, the reasons that, that Brad mentions, um, without Benteke, without Fabian Delph, without Ron Vlaar. But you never know how these new signings are going to pan out. And they've got good players from Ligue 1 with Idrissa Guy, um, Jordan Amavi, the left-back, and Jordan Ayew. But you just don't know if they're going to gel as a team. Um, it looks like Adebayor is not going to come now. Gestede is an interesting one because he's been knocking around every transfer window for the last three or four Windows. So two years, people have been thinking about whether they should sign him or not. The fact that no one has yet until now makes me think, yeah, no one is quite convinced on this guy. I think he takes a lot of shots. I'm not sure he's quite the hold-up player that, that, that is required at this level. So I'm not sure quite how, how successful he's going to be. He's definitely a risky signing. But for me, Sunderland also looked like they're in trouble. This is a side that lost 17 games last season and only won seven. That's fewer than every team that got relegated last year. I think that they, they start as a, as a team really looking over their shoulders. And then maybe at one of the, one of the um, promoted sides, maybe Leicester. I think West Ham might get sucked in, even though everyone is expecting a, a great success from their former player, um, Slavin Bilic, who's now in charge. If I had to name three... I would go for Sunderland, Villa, and probably Norwich. And the reason I'd say Norwich is because while I I like and admire the the great work that their new coach Alex Neal has done, he hasn't bought many players, and that's fine because he's trusting the players that got them up. But these same players also took Norwich down two years ago. 
So it's the spine of players that got relegated in 2013, the same spine that got them up in 2014. Can they survive again in 2015? Well, Neil is backing himself to be a better coach than Chris Hewton and Neil Adams were back then. I'm just not sure they've got enough goals in them at the moment with Graben, Jerome and Van Wolfswinkel. I think they need something a little bit extra. And there is time because there's three weeks to go to the window. Maybe they sign someone else who can score them the 15 goals that they need to survive. But for me, it's going to be them, Sunderland and Villa. I'll keep this one simple. Leicester, Norwich, Sunderland. Wow. There it is. Brad, Brad, do you have a, uh, a prediction of doom would, for the I bottom would, of the table? Well, I would agree with, uh, it was really difficult. And you don't want to wish this on anyone. And this is probably the most important Premier League season to stay in the yeah. Premier League ever. I mean, you, if Bournemouth stays up, Bournemouth is probably going to be one of the, you know, top, what, 35 or 40 richest clubs in, in the world of, of, of football. Um, <laughs> so with silly. This new, with the, yeah, with this new TV contract. So um, I, I would prob I do fear a little bit for, for Sunderland. Um, I would agree with that one. Um, as I said before, I think Villa, would, although it's a little bit of an unknown, I think they'll be uh, they'll be okay. I would agree with you again on uh, on Norwich. Uh, um, I don't like really what's going on at Leicester. They do have an experienced manager that's gone in there. Um, they just got out of jail at the at the end of last season. Can they go on a run? Will the players have the team spirit and the fight that they had? under uh, under Pearson I, I you know I would uh, I would douse that highly so I might um, put Lester in that bracket as well interesting well like you said there is no better season to finish 17th because all of that money is uh, is just sitting there waiting to be swimmed in like Scrooge McDuck Grant and a good like... friend of mine who's a Palace supporter will be happy that I didn't put Palace in there, but I wanted to. But I think they're too. I think they're too good. And Grant, you know, tenth place I'm last about. year. No, <laughs> exactly. I don't. They're too. No, I'm just kidding. They're, I think they're they're fine. I think they're fine. Uh, first, I just want to say thanks to Brad for joining us today. Uh, really enjoyed working with you at Fox. Look forward to a lot more of that uh, on all sorts of different things that Fox does. And, and welcome back to the U.S. to you and your family. Thank you very much. My pleasure for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Brad, it was, it was a real treat to, to have you and your insight on here. And Ben, same goes for you as well. If you haven't had a chance to yet, pick up Ben's book. He literally wrote the book on penalties. I'm sure you see him tweet anytime there's a major tournament going on and it goes to penalties. He, in sense, he gets a little excited. But 12 Yards is the name of the book, uh, and it's and it's a great read, a lot of good insight in there. So, Ben, thank you for, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. All right, and I think uh, that'll do it. Grant, thanks for, for being back in New York for the first time in forever. Uh, we'll get back on it with, with Brian Strauss when he comes back from his birthday, what have you. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. 
Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.